Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. This week, we return to the listener library for a suggestion from a mysterious listener and Patreon supporter, Jessica. Jessica requested an episode of X-1 called The Parade. We'll share more about her reasons for choosing this particular episode a little later. X-1 premiered on NBC April 24th, 1955. The first 15 episodes of the series recycled scripts from Dimension X, a short-lived science fiction anthology from 1950. The rest of the series consisted of all-new adaptations of contemporary science fiction stories, as well as original scripts by NBC staff writers. During its three-year run, X-1 produced 126 episodes, including stories from Philip K. Dick, Frederick Pohl, Isaac Asimov, Theodore Sturgeon, and Ray Bradbury. The Parade was an original script by George Lefferts, first produced for Dimension X. Over the course of his long and varied career, Lefferts wrote for NBC University Theater, Dr. Sixgun, and Rocky Fortune. After the death of dramatic radio, Lefferts transitioned to television, first as a writer and eventually as a producer. Among his many credits are the 1959 cancer awareness television special Tactic, starring Alfred Hitchcock and a pre-Star Trek William Shatner, the Golden Globe Award-winning 1968 documentary series, Specials for Women, featuring anthropologist Margaret Mead and the Emmy Award-winning daytime soap opera, Ryan's Hope. And now, let's listen to The Parade from X-1, first broadcast May 1st, 1955. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music and listen to the voices. Countdown for a blast off. X minus five, minus four, minus three, minus two, X minus one, fire. From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future. Adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company presents X Minus One. If you wanted to take over our world with a minimum amount of resistance and trouble, how would you go about it? Tonight we'll tell you how, with a strange and chilling story by George Lefferts, The Parade. You are Mr. Sid Ryan. The same. My name is Luchar. I am a Martian. Ah, pleased to meet you, Mr. Lu... What was that again? A Martian. As in Orson Welles? Precisely. (laughs) I'm a Rotarian myself. Sit down. Thank you. Uh, Now that we've had our little joke, Mr. Luchar, what can Publicity Associates do for you? I am interested in obtaining publicity. It has been my observation that advertising and publicity are the very backbone of earthly civilization. Spoken like a true Martian, Mr. Luchar. Now, if you'll tell me the name of the client. The client, of course, will be the Martians. You don't give up, do you? Give up? The gag, I mean. Oliver! Yes, Mr. Ryan? This is Mr. Luchar. How do you do? Mr. Luchar claims to be a Martian. Take him outside, will you, Oliver? I'm happy to see, Mr. Ryan, that my telling you I am a Martian has approximately the effect I guessed it would. I believe we can do business. 
I have here cash retainer of five thousand dollars. Five thousand. Oliver, take a look at that wad of lettuce. It's the real stuff, Mister Ryan. And my client is prepared to spend many times that amount. Oh, sit down, Mister Lucha. Oliver, get the client a cigar, the fifty cent box. Yes, sir. Thank you. Well, now what can I do for you, sir? I wish you to manage a publicity campaign. A very large and important campaign. Is the product established or is it something brand new? Something quite new. Now, what would you judge the most effective type of campaign? Well, if the client has a lot of dough to throw around, a suspense campaign is best. First, you place ads in the paper saying, Watch this space. Then about a week later, you run an ad saying XYZ or PDQ, and you get people guessing what it means. Then finally, when you've teased them enough, you bust loose and unveil the product. Excellent. We will conduct a suspense campaign. Of course, in this kind of campaign, secrecy is very important. Once the name of the product leaks out, it spreads like wildfire, and the whole campaign is kafloppo. Quite so, quite so. The utmost secrecy. Ah, uh, you realize, of course, these things cost like crazy. Would say one million dollars cover expense? Hey, come again? I said, would one million dollars cover it? Why, yes, I am at. You did say uh, a million. I understood that you have handled some very large accounts. Of course, if this is too big. No, no, not at all, not at all. I, as a matter of fact, I seldom touch anything less. Right, Oliver? Huh? Oh, oh, oh of course. That's right, Mr. Ryan. Absolutely right. Mm. Yes. You will begin then by saturating the newspapers, the radio, the streetcars with a very simple statement. Uh, what's that? I will. Write it on a card. Here you are. The Martians are coming. Say, that's not a bad teaser. Got that, Oliver? Yes, sir. The next ad will read, June 1st is Martian Day. June 1st is Martian Day. Uh, what happens on June 1st? The parade takes place. What parade? I wish you to arrange a parade up Fifth Avenue. You mean like the Macy Parade? Exactly. Except that the theme will be the world of tomorrow, the Martian world. My client would like it to be a gay affair. Balloons, clowns, pennants, pretty drum majorettes. Say, that sounds terrific. I might be able to interest the department stores in a tie-in. Fine. The parade will climax the campaign. On June 1st, the product will be unveiled. Good enough. Uh, by the way, Mr. Luchard, just uh, what is the product? Uh, what are we selling? Oh, no, Mr. Ryan. Secrecy... Remember? Yeah, but after all... Mr. I... Ryan, all will be revealed to you in good time. For the moment, let us say that we are selling a concept. A concept? The concept of invasion from Mars. Sorrel Talent Agency... Uh, Sammy Sorrow, please. Uh, this is Sammy. Uh, this is Sid Ryan over at Publicity Associates. Listen, Sammy, how are you fixed for midgets? I got midgets. Fine, I need 40 midgets for a parade. 40, June 1st. And listen, Sammy, I want them dressed in little spacesuits. In little... Uh, you, you know, like men from Mars. Mars. Okay, and I want some movie extras, uh, maybe 50 of them. 50. Also rigged up like men from Mars. Make them look gruesome, got that? Gruesome. Also, I need some horses with pretty girls on top of them. Uh. Maybe you can get that bunch from Maroney's Traveling Circus, the one we booked for the Fireman's Parade in Albany last year. Yeah, I'll try, Sid. Never mind the expense. Just get me the talent. It sounds like you landed a big client there. Who is it? <laughs> it's a secret. I got to hang now. Call me back, Sammy. Ah, uh, how you doing, Oliver? Oh, fine, Mr. Ryan. Just fine. I got a hundred small boys pasting little stickers. The Martians are coming on the subway platform. Good. We got full-page ads in all the dailies. Good. And ten-second spot announcements on every local station. Good. It's costing a fortune. Good. The more it costs, the bigger our percentage. Spend like you were going to the electric chair, Oliver. Yes, sir. How are you making out in the parade? If it comes off, it'll be the biggest thing since Bonham invented the midget. I've got Macy's, Gimbals, and Sacks to contribute floats. Everything is built around the Martian theme, see? Even the horses will have long feelers attached to them and funny-looking extra legs. It'll be sensational. That sounds fine, only... Uh... Only what? Mr. Ryan, we don't even know what we're selling. Oliver, my boy, do you think old Sid Ryan has been sitting here spending all this moolah and not putting two and two together? You mean you know who Luchar represents? Just by accident, understand, I have learned that Century Pictures is making a big new epic. 
One of those expensive pictures they make in secret and then spring on the public because they don't want the other studios to get the jump on them. What's the picture? A space opera titled Invasion from Mars. Get it? Oh, I begin to see. Also, by mere coincidence, it's supposed to have its premiere sometime around June 1st. You follow me? Yes, but uh, Mr. Ryan, Century has an exclusive contract with New Features Syndicate for all their publicity. Suppose Century Pictures doesn't like the way New Features is handling their stuff. They want to get out of the contract, but New Features says no, so they have to get around the contract. A man named Lucha, client unknown, starts publicizing the Martian invasion. <laughs> Need I go further? Oh, I don't know, Mr. Ryan. Sounds pretty far-fetched to me, but I don't know. That's what I like about you, Oliver. You're so innocent. Now, let me talk to Commissioner Patrick, please. Sid Ryan. Hello. Commish, Sid Ryan. Oh. How are you, Ryan? Fine. What is it this time? You want to drop a man off the Empire State Building into a teacup full of water? The answer is no. <laughs> Also, we're not arresting any fan dancers. You know I don't handle fan dancers. I want a permit for a parade. June 1st, 5th Avenue. It's a Sunday. There's no traffic. Now, look, Ryan, Macy's I... gets a permit. Gimbel's gets a permit. The American Legion gets a permit. The Sons of Aaron march every time Morton Downey sings the wearing of the green. Oh, don't give me a hard time, Patrick. This is too big. I have the 5th Avenue Merchants Association behind me. <sighs> okay, Fill out the forms. I'll pass them along to the license commissioner. That's my boy. By the way, what's the occasion for this parade? Well, don't you read the papers, Patrick? June 1st is Martian Day. How is the campaign going, Mr. Ryan? Like wildfire, Mr. Lucha, like wildfire. Everybody and his brother is going along with the gag. Yesterday, we distributed 50,000 Martian hats to school kids. I got some of the merchants doing World of Tomorrow displays in their windows. Every big novelty manufacturer in town is climbing on the bandwagon. They want to get into the parade with floats, giveaways, anything. Everybody smells a buck to be made. I wouldn't be surprised if the mayor himself declared Martian Day. I've even arranged for Commissioner Patrick to accept a $50,000 check for the policeman's benevolent fund from the man from Mars. Oh, it's terrific, terrific. My blood pressure's up to 200. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I, uh... I understand Century Pictures spent over a million bucks making that space opera. I beg pardon? Oh, come, come, Mr. Lucha. Sid Ryan wasn't born yesterday, you know. I know who our client is, even if you don't admit it. You do? <laughs> Always thinking that's me. Well, as long as you know, let's keep it to ourselves, shall we, Mr. Ryan? As you once remarked, when these things leak out, it destroys the surprise and ruins the effectiveness of the campaign. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Ken Daly speaking to you from our portable transmitter atop the reviewing stand for the much-heralded Martian Parade on Fifth Avenue. It's a beautiful sunlit day here in New York, a perfect day for a parade, and the streets are packed with thousands of spectators all eager to find out what this is all about. There's an air of shrill expectancy. Some of the kids and their parents have been camped on the curbstone since early this morning to be sure of ringside seats when the so-called Martians pass by. I've, uh, I've just had word from Saul Brown up at Central Park Mall that the Martians have landed from big pink balloons. And uh, now while we're waiting for the arrival of the parade... We brought some people up to our microphone to tell you their reactions to this most spectacular of all publicity stunts. Uh, that's right. Come on. Uh, what's your name, madam? Uh, Miss Ada Shackley. A little louder, please. Miss Ada Shackley. Uh huh. And where are you from, Mrs. Shackley? Columbus, Ohio. I see. And I, I see you have your family with you too. Uh, two little curly-headed blonde boys. Uh, are you in New York on vacation? We came for the Shriners Convention with their daddy. Uh, well, uh, what do you think of Martian Day, Mrs. Shackley? Well, it all seems very strange to me, but the boys have been pestering me to watch it, so we've been standing here two hours. I, I can't make head or tail of it. Well, uh, neither can a lot of other people, Mrs. Shackley. But judging by the thousands here today, there's a lot of curiosity. Curiosity killed the cat, folks say. <laughs> well, let's hope not. Uh, thank you, Mrs. Shackley. Mr. Ryan's uh, yeah, here. Yeah, Mr. Ryan's here. 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 Mr.
Right. And uh, this is Mr. Sid Ryan, ladies and gentlemen, the publicity man who's the brains behind the Martian Day stunt. Hello, Sid. Good morning, Kenneth. Uh, easy, easy. Not so close to the mic. Oh, sorry, sorry. Hey, Sid, you've certainly lifted the lid this time. Looks like it, doesn't it? Sid, there's been a great deal of speculation as to exactly what all this is leading up to. I've heard some folks say it's a big war bond drive. Uh, others think it's just to stimulate local business. <laughs> and, uh, look, I, I understand in the trade itself, the smart, smart money says you're building for the premiere of Century's forthcoming extravaganza, Invasion from Mars. Now, come clean. Can you tell us what the real story is? Ah, uh, I can. I'd like to, but honestly, I can't. Oh, man of mystery, eh? Are you going to watch the parade from the stand here? No, Ken, I can't stand noise. I'm going out to my office and watching company. <laughs> well, thank you, Sid Ryan, and good luck. And here they come, ladies and gentlemen. The first units of the big Martian parade, swinging down Fifth Avenue with fanfare, colored streamers, music, confetti, floats, all the traffics of a Mardi Gras. in weird-looking pink and blue spacesuits, carrying blue Goldberg weapons with signs painted on them. See, I, I can read one which says, Atomic Blaster. Another one has a placard reading, We're, uh, we're Martian through Georgia. <laughs> and here come the clowns, laughing and falling all over each other. They're giving free sugar candy to the kids along the way. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is a happy, laughing crowd along Fifth Avenue today. A true reflection of the great sense of humor and good nature that makes America the place it is. This is promised as the climax of the show. And now a great hush has fallen over the crowd. It's quite a sight to see these thousands of people standing here expectantly hearing only the great regular sigh of their mass breathing. And now here they come, ladies and gentlemen, the Martians, marching in booted, helmeted ranks, row after row of them. Why, this is an impressive sight, ladies and gentlemen, and a rather serious contrast to the rest of the joyous slapstick parade we've witnessed. There are perhaps, oh... 200 tall, broad-chested men dressed in metallic gray spacesuits with thick glass visors drawn across their faces. Each is holding an ominous-looking ray gun at the ready position. They're marching in absolute silence, keeping step perfectly, as though some mute, unspoken command were marking time for them. The, the crowd seems rather grim and serious now. Perhaps they're reminded of the actuality of war and possible invasion. They stand solemnly, silently, watching. Even the children are awed. And now the first ranks of the Martians are moving past us, down Fifth Avenue toward the reviewing stands at the square. No one moves. What's that? What's happening? There, a woman, a woman, ladies and gentlemen. She dashed out into the street. For what reason, I don't know. She attempted to lift the visor of one of the Martian spacesuits, but just as she reached the Martian, she fell forward in a dead faint. I tell you, I've never felt such mass tension in a crowd as we're experiencing here right now, today. All sorts of rumors have begun filtering back through the audience. There are excited whispers of she's dead, she fainted, and now an undercurrent of... What? They're really Martians. This is an example of how a single incident can precipitate mass hysteria, ladies and gentlemen. I tell you, it's a mighty reassuring sight to see the blue uniforms of New York's finest spaced every ten feet or so along the avenue. Somehow, I, I can't explain it, this incident has begun to work on what was a moment ago a happy, carefree crowd. And the complexion is changing. Did you see that? 
A woman fainted. Of course I saw it. What do you suppose she saw? Oliver, old man, did I ever tell you you were too naive for this business? But that young woman ran out into the streets to get a close look at the Martians, and then she screamed and fainted dead away. I'm well aware of that, Oliver, since I paid her 50 bucks to do it. What? The dramatic moment, Oliver, the stock and trade of the good publicity man. Relax. Holy smokes, you sure think of everything. Yeah, for my share of this deal, roughly $100,000, I can afford to think of everything. Uh, shut the window. Don't you want to see the finish? We'll go down to the reviewing stand for the finish. Right now, I want to make a phone call. Uh, by the way, where's Lucha? I haven't seen him. Well, he'll be around. Boy, those Martians sure look like the real thing. How would you know the real thing if you saw it, Oliver? Gee, I, I don't know. Uh, close the window, Oliver. Oh, yes, Mr. Ryan. Talent agency. Sammy, this is Sid Ryan. Say, listen, Sid, I was going to call you. I'm awful sorry about those Martians. What do you mean, sorry? They're terrific. Oh, don't joke, Sid. I mean it. Well, I mean it, too. They're great, great. Are you in the bag? Never felt better. You mean it, don't you? Of course I mean it. What is this? There are Martians in the parade? About 150. Of course, I only ordered 50, but Sid, under the circumstances... Sid. Well, what is it? Sid, don't you know? I couldn't get you a single movie extra. There's a studio strike in New York. I was going to call you, but I figured... Hey, wait a minute. Where these guys come from if you didn't hire them? I don't know. Uh, maybe Oliver... Oh, hold on. Oliver? Yes, Mr. Ryan? Did you hire those Martians? No, sir, I... Sammy, this is on the level, isn't it? Honest, Sid, I... Okay, can... Sammy, I'll call you back. What's the matter, Mr. Ryan? I don't know. I just don't know. I've got to locate Lucha. What's Century Pictures number? Mr. Ryan, this is Sunday. Oh, yeah. Well, get me their publicity director, Marty Sanford, at home. Oh, yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Sanford. Uh, Marty, this is Sid Ryan. Oh, hello, Sid. How's the uh, Fine, fine. Uh, listen, Marty, this is dead serious. On the level, get it? What's wrong? I've got to locate Lucha. Uh, Lou who? Lucha, come on now, Marty. This is life and death. The guy you sent over to hire me for the invasion picture. Invasion picture? Invasion from Mars, the space opera. Are you, Batty? Marty. That picture was shelved last month. What? Sure, back in the can. Too expensive and too fantastic. The big shots decided you can't sell a Martian invasion to the American public. And I never heard of a guy named Luke. Mother of heaven. What is it, Mr. Ryan? You look terrible. That's too fantastic. What's too fantastic, Mr. Ryan? Is something wrong? Open that window. I want another look at those Martians. Yes, sir. Look at them. Oliver, you were in the army. Could 150 movie extras learn to march like that and say... 24 hours? Not in 24 days, Mr. Ryan. Not a second's hesitation. Not one other step. Look at the way they carry those ray guns at the ready. The only other time I've seen troops march like that was in a film of the Nazi stormtroops marching through the streets of Paris. See those chests on That's pride. Sheer, arrogant pride. Look at those chins. That's contempt. Nobody could act like that. Mr. Ryan! Oliver, get down there. Find that woman who fainted. Her name's Gloria Montex. Get her up here. Make it fast. Me, Sid Ryan. Oh, don't kid me. You're a Martian. Gloria, settle down. Now you're wearing a mask. Baby, it's me, Sid. And underneath, it's, it's awful. It's all big green eyes and those, those feelings like, like a catfish. Baby, snap out of it. Listen, what happened down there? You ran out and screamed like I told you, but the fainting, that wasn't in the act. Oh, go away, please. Go away. What'd you see? Oh, no, please. It's too awful. Please, please. Just one question, baby. Inside that helmet, what'd you see? You won't get anything out of her, Mr. Ryan. She needs a doctor. Okay, Oliver, I've heard enough anyway. You take care of Gloria here. Get her a drink. Where are you going? To see the commissioner. we got to stop this parade before things begin to happen. Okay, Ryan, what's the beef? Listen, Patrick, I don't know what it is, see, but something's wrong. you got to stop that parade. Uh, I suppose you'd like the riot squad. That would get you a front-page spread on every paper in town. Honest, you publicity guys give me a pay. This may be a matter of life and death. Oh, sure, sure. 
Look, Ryan, I've got no time for your cheap publicity gags. I'm a busy man. Listen, I'm trying to tell you I don't know where these Martians came from, who they are, or anything about them. All I want you to do is stop the parade and make sure they're on the level. Uh-uh, Ryan, I'm wise to your tricks. If you let the sergeant show you out... You won't do it, huh? An honest citizen appeals for protection and you refuse it. I most emphatically do. Now beat it. All right, Patrick. I'll go right to the mayor's office. I'll have you busted flatter than a fried egg. Go ahead. I'm sure his honor will be glad to toss you out on that phony nickel-plated skull of yours. You heard me, Ryan. You cannot see the mayor. Adolph, please. This isn't a gag. I don't want publicity. All I want to do is maybe prevent something horrible from happening. In case you don't know it, wise guys, something horrible is already happening. A couple hundred little kids are in the hospital with tomaine poisoning from that phony Martian candy you passed out. Or didn't you know? I didn't. We've got to stop that parade. Sure, sure, you'd like nothing better than to start a panic now. Maybe a few hundred people would get trampled to death. Think of the newspaper space that would get you and your product. I won't stand for this, Adolf. You won't have to, because you're going to get out of here right now. Go on, beat it, get out. You and your publicity stunts make me sick to my stomach. Oliver? Oliver, where are you? Uh, Oliver? Oliver! It is useless what? to scream at him, Mr. Ryan. Your friend is quite dead. Lucha. He wanted to run to the police with some story about a Martian invasion. I found it necessary to restrain him. Restrain him? You stinking murderer. Now, now Mr. Ryan, collect yourself. After all our planning, it wouldn't do to have everything spoiled, now would it? Lucha, start talking and talk fast, because when you get through, I'm going to take you apart piece by piece. What's this all about? But surely you know, Mr. Ryan, after all, you've been publicizing it for months. Listen, you... Please do not interrupt. You see, before colonizing your planet, we Martians sent advanced scouts to study your habits, your weaknesses. We found that the people on Earth are predominantly conditioned by advertising and publicity, and so... We conceived the idea of treating our entire invasion as a vast publicity stunt. Clever, hmm? After all, Mr. Ryan, who would suspect an invader who advertised his invasion in the newspaper, invited the public to his surprise attack, and spent millions publicizing his plans? Holy jumping catfish. You've done very well. Then there was no product. Ah, but there is a product. The product is... Death. What are you trying to do, Lucha? We Martians are a humane people, Mr. Ryan. We do not like to destroy thousands where a few hundreds would suffice. In exactly two minutes, our troops will treat the world to a spectacle of death which will bring the rest of your planet to its knees in horror. Nations will clamor to surrender. Perhaps, Mr. Lucha. But not if I can help it. You... Yes, please. Operator, this is Mr. Ryan. Get me the field telephone on the reviewing stand of the Martian Day Parade. Hurry. Anyone in particular? Just hurry! Reviewing stand, Sergeant Cassidy. Get me Commissioner Patrick. Hello. 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 You'll have to talk loud. I want Commissioner Patrick. Oh. Patrick, Patrick! Oh, wait, wait a minute. Th- things are quieting down. Uh, now, what was it you wanted? This is Ryan. I have to talk to the commissioner. It's a matter of life and death. Oh, I'm sorry, you can't talk to him now. The chief Martian is presenting the PBA check to him. The Martians are going to fire a salute. Listen, you got to stop him. What? Stop him! I'm sorry, Mr. Ryan. You idiot, the worst is going on! This is the operator. I'm sorry, Mr. Ryan, you've been cut off. I can't seem to get them back. Doesn't matter, operator. Nothing matters now. Tonight... X-1 has brought you The Parade, an original story written by George Lefferts. Featured in the cast were Joseph Curtin as Ryan, Joe DeSantis as Luchar, Alexander Scorby as Daly, Agnes Young as The Woman, Ellen Deming as Gloria, John Thomas as Oliver, Arthur Anderson as Sammy, Wendell Holmes as The Commissioner, and William Keene as Sanford. 
your announcer, Don Pardo. X-1 was directed by Fred Way and is a transcribed NBC Radio Network production. Next week, the tables turn. Instead of Martians invading Earth, we bring you a tale of men invading Mars. Ray Bradbury's brilliant short story entitled, Mars is Heaven. Suppose you were a member of the first rocket ship crew to land on Mars, but instead of seeing Martians, you find that you've landed in a town that looks just like home, that all your dead relatives and friends are there to greet you, so that as incredible as it may seem, you think you're really in heaven. That is, you think so, right up to the fatal moment. The moment of X minus one. That was X minus one and the episode The Parade here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. That came to us from our Patreon supporter. Uh, suggestion? No, a uh, request. That's what it is. That, that's the same word. Demand. Yeah. Demand. <laughs> <laughs> from Jessica. And uh, as it was mentioned in our introduction, Joshua, there are more reasons for her choosing this particular episode. Uh, What are they? Jessica had some very specific reasons for choosing this episode and and what she was hoping to gain from our conversation about this episode. Uh, We had had an earlier email exchange regarding the Ray Bradbury story Zero Hour, which got us talking about alien and Martian invasion stories from the 1950s in general, mm-hmm. um, which got us to talking about the parade from X minus one. And uh, Jessica brought up that she thought this episode was flawed and maybe not the best of X minus one, but for some reason she kept coming back to it again and again. In short, she can't figure out why she likes it oh. and hoped we might be able to explain it to her. <laughs> and I said, I thought the parade would make for a great discussion. And yeah. so here we are. I have no idea, Jessica. This is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, I should say no, I have no. a past. Oh, my. A sorted past. A sorted past with uh, X minus one and the parade. It was one of the earliest old time radio box sets. I had as a high school student um, when they first started coming out in those little tape box sets. That, and I loved it. And the parade is the first X minus one I ever heard. The so, scandal has been revealed. I know. It holds a special place in my heart. Oh, that's really crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never heard it before. As you know, uh, my uh, history with X minus one is when I first discovered it. Before this podcast, I was excited because A, that's a cool title. B, that's a great opening. C, sci-fi. And then X-1 just continued to disappoint me every time because, as I've now learned, there is a huge difference between what I know now as sci-fi and 1950s sci-fi. There's no space battles (laughs) <laughs> there's, there's no where's the lightsabers right there's nothing pew pew I want the pew pew <laughs> it's just so much more philosophical however every now and then X minus one veers away from the philosophical kind of scenarios of humans and their flaws you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. about that kind of sci-fi yeah, it's very allegorical yeah instead of lightsabers yeah <laughs> and, and alien beings so I've been continually disappointed by it and i liked this episode a lot i have my qualms with it i think jessica's exactly right there are things that are flawed but let me take a crack at jessica's question right off the top nice it's the marching in the background it's foreboding and it is third reichish and it's uh very terrifying feeling and particularly 10 years out from the second world war (laughs) exactly but the foley i think of that marching is what draws me in because it's like this rhythm in the back of the story that is driving you forward and the fact that it goes on for so long the amount of martians just gets bigger and bigger (laughs) and bigger in your head this ain't 50 of them I think they said it's 350 of them. 150, I think they said. Yeah, but still a lot. Yes, a lot more than 50. No, if you did the math on the marching and the speed of the marching and how long they were marching, that was 10 billion. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm a fan of 
creating the atmosphere through Foley and sound and that theater of the mind, which is what we all love. And I think that it really has an impact that you can see them marching down the street and you can feel yourself looking out the window, seeing them. And then I will also add this. I think the performances, as goofy and farcical as they were, were really good. So that's my stab at Jessica, that's why I think. I think it creates a beautiful piece of theater of the mind that we can see it happening. I came away with a, a different take on this, although our takes, I think, have some overlap in their Venn diagrams. I'm gesturing with the circles that no one can see. <laughs> the classic <laughs> Venn diagram hand gesture. Yes. <laughs> um, the aspect of this I was most interested in is as a satire of War of the Worlds, mm-hmm. which I think it's, it's pretty explicitly close to the surface just we are satirizing this to some degree and the the push pull of to satirize it they also have to do it and do it pretty well mm-hmm. which they do with the man on the street thing that yep. the uh reporter and the sounds that go on behind that i think were very reminiscent of what orson welles pulled off there's no denying when that happens that you don't go oh this is war of the worlds and they bring it up at the top they let you know right away I'm a Martian, and he goes, as in Orson Welles, mm-hmm. he says, precisely. Yeah. So he's basically saying, you're on the right track, Tim. <laughs> right. <laughs> Keep going with that reading. And the, the push-pull for me is sometimes it's trying to be satirical and funny, and sometimes it's successfully funny, and sometimes it's not, and sometimes it's trying to imitate the voice, which sometimes it does successfully, and sometimes not as much. Uh, so that's the, the aspect that I'm compelled by it, but I don't think necessarily scores the goal. For Jessica. That might be also what she's reacting to, but that's what I react to. Right, right. I'm going to take Tim's argument, and I'm going to (laughs) argue why I think it slam dunks the goal. (laughs) Because I was totally reading it as well as a War of the Worlds satire. And I think that's probably the most fascinating lens through which to examine this play. I mean, there's obviously it's 1950s sci-fi, so there is that Cold War paranoia there. But I think it as I said, explicitly sets you up to be thinking of War of the Worlds from the top. Specifically, what I thought was interesting regarding the War of the Worlds is that by setting it, well, it's not set, it's when he wrote it uh, originally in 1950, it's a very different world than the world that reacted to Orson Welles' War of the Worlds. So I think part of the contrast that's interesting to me is that you have the world-weary pre-war audience of War of the Worlds that was conditioned to believe in the veracity mm-hmm. of radio as a media. And then in contrast, you have this consumerist post-war audience in the 1950s that is conditioned to believe in the artificiality of advertising as a medium. Mm-hmm. And Orson Welles takes advantage of their belief in the truthfulness of radio and Luchar, Luchar or however you pronounce his name, his whole is to take advantage of their skepticism of advertising as, as an authentic, real thing. In, in some ways, it is all about uh, verisimilitude in that the mimicry of a news broadcast, in the case of Orson Welles, is what causes panic. And the mimicry of an advertising campaign in this situation is what forestalls panic. So it has just these, I think, really brilliant inversions of... Uh, I maybe have listened to this far too many times (laughs) for literally 20 years. So I'm maybe digging a little deeper. But I think that is where the tonal changes work for me. Because the lighthearted stuff is from the point of view and perspective of the Sid character, who is shallow and believes none of this. And he's just Mm -hmm. enjoying life because he's got this great big new account. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that is the modern 1950s sort of oblivious point of view. And then it does, as Eric mentioned, as you mentioned, take on the point of view of the people on the street, the masses, Mm -hmm. and the War of the Worlds tone when it is actually on the street. And it's from the point of view of the reviewing stand and the Martians. And how that keeps flipping back and forth, I think, is really interesting to me. It was Lex Luchor. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, I think society's biggest fear in any society at any given time is, you know, forgive the phrase fake news, but it is the distortion of truth. Uh, not having faith in what information you're getting is factual. Once that's destroyed, 
everything falls apart. And so War of the Worlds peels back the curtain on that. Oh, that was so easy to make you... Well, that's a whole other argument if that actually happened. But. Well, there is no dispute that there was at least listeners who were very concerned Sorry, enough yep. to call. It wasn't thousands of people screaming in the street, but no. it caused concern and some people were fearful that there was some truth to it. Right. And then when you look at it from a marketing campaign standpoint, feeding you false information to persuade you to do something. So uh, marketing people, forgive me, marketing people, but advertising marketing is always viewed with a a side eye, right? Like your job is to hoodwink me. So the idea of false information is terrifying in general. But I think it's interesting that he, Sid thinks he knows the truth. Yeah. You can't help but hate the guy through half of that episode. Yeah. And when he turns, he becomes a hero. And I find that super interesting. Like you start to root for him. But I mean, that concept is there, but the actual execution of that concept of marketing isn't quite on because what the Martians do is we're not trying to sell any idea other than we're coming to invade you. We're just like <laughs> flat out saying what we're doing. And the satire is in the, oh, fun, good. This is something I'm interested in. <laughs> right. Um, that gets sold a threat without recognizing it's a threat. Mm-hmm. But I, I still feel that satire is just a little off tune, off on the radio of, you know, the statement of Martians are coming isn't necessarily sold to people in mm. this story in that same kind of way of... But I feel like they're satirizing a very specific type of publicity campaign of the era. And this might mean it doesn't stand the test of time, but the suspense campaign. Because that's part of the satire is they're selling something to people that they don't know about. Saying it out loud, I, I get the idea of they have been sold, welcome these soldiers, welcome this invading army. Yeah, but it's just a little stuck in my head of, but the actual, what the Martians are saying has no deception to it. Mm-hmm. But I think that is also the key element. Maybe I'm misunderstanding, but the very first couple minutes of this episode, we find out that Luchar is only willing to go through with this because when he says he's a Martian, Sid immediately doesn't believe him. You're right. And then he goes, good. So it's always their plan. And I think there's a certain irony that in reality, this is less of an invasion than a genocidal publicity stunt because on the part of the Martians because they say it's much easier to just murder a couple hundred people well, that <laughs> and then a, you'll all fall in Another thing for this episode of like, wow, that suddenly doesn't age so well of, you know, it'd be great if we just kill a bunch of people in New York, set up <laughs> right. a worldwide establishment of how much safer they are if we don't attack everyone and point taken, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Unfortunately, more recent events uh, color that. However, this leaves it up to your imagination to see just how devastating that attack yes. would be. And that has stayed as a trope all the way up through, you know, at least the 80s. I think the Watchmen, the whole idea that some horrible attack on <laughs> New York City would, <laughs> you know, unify the people of Earth. I mean, this is a little different. Unify them to all bow down <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> to the Martians. <laughs> I think you opened up an interesting question when you start to apply modern, real-life scenarios to, yes. to this story. I'm not saying it's not legitimate, but um, it also opens up the question, do we believe that this is the end of the story? It ends, at least we know, with Sid believing that the human race is lost. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not a definitive answer. I think our experience with humanity tells us that there will probably be more fighting <laughs> and this won't be over. My experience with the Watchmen series is that it has an HBO special. <laughs> exactly. And so we should expect the HBO <laughs> version of the parade yes. uh, very shortly. But I think I recall from uh, my email conversation with Jessica, and the reason I say recall is because I inadvertently erased <laughs> all these. <so. laughs> Our intern lost that material. Yes, uh, Jessica gave me permission to paraphrase, which is really <laughs> dangerous permission. Um, we have an intern? <laughs> when we lose things, yes. <laughs> um, but I believe that she said, and I've heard this critique of this story before, is that it is really predictable. Uh, there appears to mm-hmm. be this idea that it's disappointing somehow when it is revealed that the Martian at the beginning 
saying I'm the Martian turns out to actually be true. Yeah. I am going to make an argument how that's just a fundamental misreading of where the suspense is intended to lie. I can see why you'd be dis- disappointed by what <laughs> avenue of suspense they pursued, but I do think the script's very clear from the very top that Luchar says, I'm a Martian. And I don't think you're ever supposed to think anything other than that. In fact, every time somebody does think something other than that, some version of an authorial voice comes in and says something different. Like when Sid tells his assistant Oliver, that's also the name of our intern Oliver. <laughs> Coincidence, <laughs> I know. Um, it says, oh, it's a big movie from Century Pictures. Oliver comes in and goes, that seems a little far-fetched. Uh, <laughs> when they are doing the interviews on the street, the funny woman who's there with for the Shriners convention comes in with the, I think, a more of that authorial voice again to say, well, curiosity killed the cat. Like every time someone's thinking this might be something other than what we're told it is, there's a element of skepticism uh, that is brought up. And for me, the real suspense then, um, and it works for me personally, is not what is the real plot, but when will Sid figure out mm-hmm. the plot? I took that at the very top of like, the introduction is we're going to invade. So I assumed like, I, I think I know what's going to happen. But there was still part of me. Get to the castle. Get to the castle. <laughs> yeah. We said at the beginning, I said, uh, this is flawed. Uh, but yet I enjoyed it. So I'm with Jessica on that. And I, and I stick by my reasons why I liked it. That ambiance and the sound of it. And yeah, I caught the War of the Worlds thing. And then I stopped thinking about it. <laughs> so uh, the flaw for me was it didn't really go anywhere. And I agree with you, Joshua, the suspense lies in when does our antagonist turn protagonist figure this out? That's what the story is. Can he stop it? But I think I would have much preferred not knowing they were real Martians till the very end. I will. There was the fun back and forth of this woman ran out and fainted. Yeah. And then he's like, yeah, because I hired her to. Yeah. Um, and that was a, a little bit of a fun game in there. Of But if we didn't know they were real Martians, which we were told at the top, that would have been a cool moment. We're like, oh, I still don't know. I still don't know. Yeah, I think it's a case of, though, you wanting it to be a different story than what it is, which is a totally fair critique mm-hmm. than them unsuccessfully creating suspense, which I've read numerous online reviews of this, of interpreting this as an episode of suspense. Mm-hmm. That's their goal, and they're failing at providing a twist when I don't think they ever wanted to. And mm-hmm. I agree, that double twist of, oh, I hired that girl, and then, oh, she wasn't supposed to faint, and oh, no, she's really hysterical. And I think yeah. that's a great way to have the penny finally dropped for Sid. Because, like, Tim's criticism is, like, hey, get to the space castle, uh, right? And, and <laughs> Invade so, the planet um, already! <laughs> because they took their time, and, I mean, it's built in. It's called a suspense campaign, Tim. They tell you they're going to take their time with this. You, I was hooked. Yep. Um, they warned you. But because they take their time, there had to be a really good and fun way for Sid to finally figure it out. And I think that double twist of the screaming woman was a a really smart choice Mm -hmm. because it hooks you back into the story. Mm -hmm. And again, you guys know me. I love the tonal contrast. I think this is one that does it really well because you have this great moment where the two tones collide and it's right in the center. And it has to do with what Eric was saying about the great Martian marching um, Mm -hmm. when the tone just changes and He's describing really the ridiculous Martians. When he's like, we're Martian through Georgia, and they're these terrible jokes. That Martian through Georgia thing, I, I, I double checked. Like, what are they talking about? Sherman's March. Like, wow, that's kind of on the nose, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and then though the reviewer actually says a rather serious contrast to the rest of the joyous slapstick parade we've had. So, like, I enjoyed how literally even the reviewing stand reporter acknowledges mm-hmm. that these two tones have now crashed into each other <laughs> right in basically the center of the script, and then the darkness starts to spread more through the second half of the script. So I'm a structuralist, and this delighted me from all those points of view, which is not to negate anyone else's opinion. This is a, this is one I've always wanted to bring to the podcast, and I used Jessica as a shield. Because <laughs> um, I knew I would be in the minority on it, but... No, you're not in the minority. No, I mean... On, I enjoyed I, it. I have an unconditional love, which rational people would not have. <laughs> I, I have some conditions on my love. 
you just opened the door, uh, counselor, uh, to uh, go into the vote unless you got more things. The, just the real quick so that it doesn't go unsaid, like, midget is a hurtful word to, to little people in yeah. uh, that environment. And, and I, I don't even know amongst the, the community of little people what the vibe would be of a paycheck is a paycheck and we will put, you know, it's no yeah. judgment on people who want to put on the blue and pink outfits and go march in a parade. But also it's like kind of using people as a prop and that ain't cool. Right. Absolutely. And also... But it was hilarious in 1955 because they used it three times. (laughs) (laughs) It was a go-to shtick. Yeah. And again, we are reviewing things in the context of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy for what it is. I'm sorry to the Irish people who had to endure the Martin Downey (laughs) joke. (laughs) I forgot about the Martin Downey joke. I just assume it's Martin Downey Jr., but looks older. Morton Downey. Oh, that's what I'm thinking of. No, it's Morton Downey, which was Morton Downey Jr.'s father. Yes, it was. Yeah, they are related. He was the Irish Nightingale. That's right. He was a popular Irish singer. I didn't know that. Yes. I forgot all Morton Downey Jr. was the crazy angry talk show host uh, yes. from the uh, late 80s yes yep and i have all his albums too vote one last thing nope. i promised yes jessica that i would mention is that uh, jessica on, on our patreon and on many other occasions through comments on our episodes has expressed her low tolerance for hysterical women in oh, old time mm, radio yeah and she wanted me to pass on that she thought this was a very excellent and well-contextualized use of a hysterical woman. <laughs> she was in. She was out. She did her work. I, I don't think it's so much uh, like this huge concern that it's a woman being hysterical. I think just the sound of a hysterical woman really annoys <laughs> Jessica. I think it's both in all fairness. I would, but, uh, but she thought this was a great uh, use of it. And I agree with that. I mean, the idea that, oh, women can't handle anything so they get hysterical is is the point. But I think... Anybody who would have opened that visor would probably have had the same mental reaction. I believed it. It didn't just sound like I'm screaming because I'm supposed to scream. I thought, I hope she's okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, third time's charm. Should we vote? One more. No. (laughs) (laughs) I loved it. I do. I like it a lot. Anything that makes me visualize everything. That's what I love about old time radio. It's what I love about theater of the mind. When I see it all and I'm there and I can really forgive stories a lot for not being very interesting or not going anywhere if I'm swept away. And I was in that office. I was looking out on the street. I was seeing the marching. I saw the woman run out and pass out. I see it. I see it. I see it. And it has everything to do with performance and production and direction. If it didn't have those elements, I would have said, well, the story is terrible and everything else was too. But I, I was swept away. And I think it does stand the test of time. I, Except for the obvious that we just talked about does not stand the test of time. Morton Downey Sr. Yes. Yes. Yep. yep. The M word. Yes. <laughs> this has my favorite thing in, in any sort of piece of art high aspirations mm-hmm. and well i might not necessarily agree how successfully it achieves those i think it mostly does uh, my main really complaint is i thought there was too much time energy invested in setting up the uh the press uh that i basically got it like you do an advanced press for an invasion got it um and it was <laughs> it was a couple beats too many of that for me yeah I mean that to be praising with faint damnation of the... Um, <laughs> right. Uh, That's actually going to be the name of your biography? Yes. <laughs> uh, no, my biography might be damning with faint praise, but... <laughs> well, there's the biography, then there's the autobiography. See, Fair enough, yes. <laughs> they can compete, because I'm writing your biography. Oh, thank you. That's done. Uh, uh, how does it I end? I hope you die the right way. <laughs> Uh, so stands the test of time wouldn't call it a classic well as I've already made really clear I I love this production and I'm not gonna uh, repeat myself well maybe just a little Uh, (laughs) no I really love the use of tonal contrast in this and I think it's done in a sophisticated way instead of just like here's some comedy uh, here's some scary stuff so I really like how it is integrated I think it is ultimately extremely dark but really funny along the way and I think how funny you find the funny parts is probably the true test 
mm-hmm. of how much you like this. I love the 50s excited ad guy banter. I love yeah. his, all his conversations. I love it when the commissioner says, I'm not arresting any fan dancers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a sucker for all that. And I really enjoyed the performances, the comedic ones and Nickel the plated. drama ones. Nickel plated, skull. <laughs> Nickel plated brain, right? Yeah, all of it. So I personally honestly do think this is a classic uh, for me uh, for all the reasons I have said it is a misunderstood classic and <laughs> Jessica that's where your mixed feelings come from <laughs> a, a little bit of therapy and you will love this episode as much as I do I'm convinced Tim I read what Joshua wrote the autobiography oh that. man yeah stay away from zoos <laughs> <laughs> I actually just today made plans to go to the zoo <laughs> no come on it's true I'm going to the pump Thing. Oh, not the pumpkin thing. Oh, no. <laughs> no, it's perfect. Go to the no, pumpkin thing, Tim. It's fine. As long as there are no monkeys there, you're safe. <laughs> as long as there's no pumpkins. <laughs> Tim, tell them more stuff. Don't go to the pumpkin thing. <laughs> no, it's actually very nice. I don't, if you're in Minnesota, go to the zoo, see the pumpkin thing. That's solid, solid ad right there. <laughs> I can't tell you how much I don't want to do that from that description. <laughs> I love the Minnesota Zoo. I am a member. I am a huge supporter. And the uh, jack-o'-lantern display is beyond awesome. Oh, they carved them. Yes. yes. And they filled the trees See, with them. There are okay. thousands of jack-o'-lanterns. That's fine. It is not just one wild pumpkin that they have <laughs> tranked and put in its natural habitat. <laughs> That's what the Minnesota Zoo would do, though. Every time you go there, uh, you, do you see any animals? No. Because they're all treated fairly and have a lot of land. So you never get to see them. <laughs> yes. Hey, please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That is the home of this podcast. You'll find other episodes there. You can uh, leave messages. You can leave comments on episodes. Let us know what you think. You can vote in polls. Let us know if you think this was a misunderstood classic or you just don't understand it. Um, you can also link to our social media pages. You can get swag from our Threadless store, and you can uh, link to our Patreon page. Yes, you can also go to patreon.com slash the Minnesota Zoo and support them, because <laughs> I'm going to say it again. They're a great conservationist organization. Yes. Um, but you first go to... <laughs> <laughs> uh, patreon.com slash the morals and uh, the last couple of weeks uh, we've been featuring endorsements testimonials dare I say from our patrons and this week we're going to hear from Amy being a morals patron has meant the world to me now that may sound like an exaggeration but it really has my husband got me the patreon subscription nearly two years ago for my birthday and it was right before all the covid lockdowns Now, because I had a bunch of new material to listen to, I was able to fill my suddenly empty days listening to new, fun content. Add to that the happy hours that we all were able to participate in, it gave me something new to look forward to in a world that was sadly stagnating. But this isn't the only reason that I've loved being a patron. My husband has been listening to OTR by proxy now for about 20 years, but he's really never cared about it. But because of the commentary, he's grown to really actually appreciate it. He will comment on Foley thanks to Eric's observations, will comment on story or original source because of Joshua's insights, and he loves Tim's takes on what's behind the surface of the story. It's to the point that he does request that we listen together certain episodes like Brave New World or even more recently Zero Hour. It's so fun because I have to pause it to listen to his observations before we even get to the morals commentary at the end. And even then, we'll talk about the episode for quite a while after. This has given me the gift of having my husband warm up to something that he mostly ignored, which was my love of OTR. I highly encourage lovers of old-time radio to check it out, but I also encourage the OTR curious, because this is a gateway drug into the OTR life. Now, don't you want to be like Amy? Please, <laughs> support this podcast. And if you'd like to see us performing live, we do uh, adaptations and recreations of classical time radio drama and a lot of our own original work live on stage. We perform monthly. Just go to MysteriousOldRadioListeningSociety.com or GhoulishDelights.com, and there you'll see the link to where we're performing this month and what selections we have. Uh, and it's uh, live radio drama with all the Foley and, you know, all the stuff. So uh, come see us. And if you can't see us, you can buy an online ticket if you're not in the area of uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Uh, and you can also uh, watch it later and buy a ticket. You don't have to do it at the time that we're doing it. So do that. 
All right, so they carve the pumpkins. They're just not... <laughs> yep. The one complaint I heard is the jack-o'-lantern spectacular, and for some reason it's not a jack-o'-lantern spooktacular. It could be copyrighted at this point. Spooktacular, oh, if someone yeah. got on that. Someone with a brain. You know, as long as we're talking about this stuff, I have a Google uh, alert set for Ghoulish Delights, and uh, this time of year... I get a lot of alerts for ghoulish delights. <laughs> <laughs> and how disappointed yeah. are they when they end up on our website when they're looking for delights of a ghoulish nature? <laughs> so you have your legal team working on this, right? Sure. Well, taking these people down left and right <laughs> using ghoulish delights. Well, I have our intern, Oliver. Okay. So, ah, uh, he kid. was killed by Martians. Oh! <laughs> he went to the zoo. <laughs> We're never going to end this episode. (laughs) (laughs) What's coming up next, somebody? (laughs) Next is my choice, uh, which seems like cheating because I enjoyed the parade so much. You guys are going to be so sick of me by next week. Uh, We'll be listening to Death of a Picture Hanger from Crime Classics. Until then. Minus one.